So our 10-year target is uh, 12-31-24. And, you know, the goal is to have 25,000 uh, occupied houses and uh, a goal, a revenue goal of 75 million. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Lead Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, Closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you, Season 1, still on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and every week, I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs, industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a 100 units or a 1,000, this is the show that's going to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to achieve your goals. So if you're tired of hearing the same recycled strategies and content everybody else is talking about, this is going to be a fresh take to help you take your business to the next level. Today, I'm talking with Spencer Sutton the director of marketing for GK Houses, an ambitious and high-growth property management company now based in Birmingham, Chattanooga, and Nashville. In today's chat, we're going to dive into why GK took the step of hiring a director of marketing and what exactly Spencer does to help GK win. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Spencer, I want to start here. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background. How did you end up working with GK? What were you doing prior to that? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, it goes back quite a ways. Back in 2003, I bought a franchise here in Birmingham called Homevestors. Um, We're the we have we have big yellow billboards all around the city that says we buy ugly houses. So I was a house flipper. Um, and I sold a house, a couple of houses, to a, a guy that I got to know. His name's Matthew Whitaker back in 2004, and he bought a franchise. And so there were about four franchises here in Birmingham. We were buying and selling houses. It was a hot market. Uh, Matthew and I became very good friends, and um, when the crash hit in 2008, I had probably about 30 rental houses um, Matthew and his uh, group, his partners, they had about 30 rental houses. And um, I made the decision to go and do something different. And Matthew said, I'm going to stick it out. So he started GK Houses in 2008 with his 30 houses. I started a nonprofit called Never Thirst. So I would literally travel around the, the world and mostly in some really developing countries, India, South uh, Sudan, uh, Cambodia, Nepal, um, and we were providing clean water for uh, remote villages. And so I, I couldn't have the hands-on that I used to uh, in, when I was in the business. So I handed all my properties over to Matthew sometime, probably late 2008. Um, fast forward, um, I turned, you know, Never Thirst uh, was turned over to a good friend of mine. I was doing some marketing uh, on the side. Uh, so I, I, you know, just started talking to Matthew one day, we went and had lunch and, you know, I just sent him, I remember sending him an email on a Saturday saying, you know, I've, I've looked at your site. I see what you're doing. You really need some help. Uh, he was struggling. And so we went and had lunch and, and this was back in probably October of 2014. And he, uh, he just said, you know, Hey, listen, we've got some really ambitious goals, uh, we want to grow this thing to 25,000 houses. Uh, we want to be in, uh, you know, over 30 markets, and we need somebody to help us get there. So why don't you come work for us? And so with that prior relationship, I, I have a lot of respect for Matthew. Uh, I had a lot of respect, still do. Um, so I, I signed on in December of 2014. So that's, that's kind of how I got here. And so did you sign on to your specific role, your current role of director of marketing? Is that what you started? Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, that's kind of my background, um, marketing back in college, but then even, you know, doing home investors, I was buying and selling houses. Most of the selling is what I was doing. Uh, when I did my nonprofit, I was involved with so much of the marketing uh, and some, I mean, so much of the messaging that it was just kind of what I did. So 
I, I didn't have any desire to be a property manager. I didn't really have a desire to, uh, you know, do any other role. My, what I really wanted to do, though, is I got behind Matthew's vision of growing this thing to 25,000 houses. So, um, so, yeah, so I signed on as marketer, as the director of marketing. So where's the count? Where is the company at today? How many doors are you guys managing and what's the headcount? Well, we used to we used to count uh, Jordan. We would just say, "Hey, we're, we manage a thousand houses," but in reality, we probably only at, at certain times only had eight hundred houses occupied or whatever because we had houses in turn, we had houses that were inactive. Uh, you know how it goes. So. Probably about six months ago, we decided just to talk about occupied houses because that's really the only time we make money is when houses are occupied. Sure, fair. So right now we're at 1,500 occupied houses. Around uh, probably 850 here in Birmingham, another um, 150 in Nashville and 500 in Chattanooga. Awesome. And what's the company's headcount by location? Here in corporate, we probably have 20, a little over 20 people, including maintenance. And then um, in Nashville, we've got uh, two plus an intern. In Chattanooga, we've got um, three, I believe, right now. And what is the model? When you talk about corporate, what, what do you guys have a back office uh, infrastructure that's servicing the other markets? If so, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting because when I came on at GK Houses, uh, something that Matthew had to explain to me is we were, you know, we're departmentalized. So we're it's not a traditional portfolio management style. Uh, so we have a leasing department that's all here in Birmingham. So our leasing department handles everything for all markets. Um, we have owner communication. Owner communications handled out of out of Birmingham. Tenant communications handled out of Birmingham. And so, um, really, we're very, very departmentalized. All of our accounting and finance is handled here out of Birmingham. Uh, so, statements are prepared and sent out uh, from Birmingham. And then, um, really, on the ground, we just need these property managers. And we, we also have team leaders in, in each city. Okay. Awesome. That makes sense. And what is the company's growth goal in three to five years? And before you answer that, you guys um, reached the Fortune 5000 list. Congrats on that. Hats off. As a, as a part of that, there is some revenue reporting. So you guys reported 2015 operating revenue of $2.7 million, three year percentage growth up to that point of 302%. So some, some pretty significant and meaningful growth up to that point. Obviously that number is out of date. We don't need to talk revenue, but let's just stick with doors. You mentioned that the growth goal was, was that I hear 25,000 doors? Is that what yeah, I heard? That's right. 25,000. Put a time frame on that for me. Is, is this a 10 year, 20 year or five year goal? Uh, no, that's a great, great question. It is a 10-year goal, um, but we're already into that by a couple of years. So our 10-year target is uh, 1231-24, and you know, the goal is to have 25,000 uh, occupied houses and uh, a goal, a revenue goal of $75 million. Fantastic. I like it. I love the ambition. So that's where... This company is trying to get to that is officially what we would call a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. But what I want to get into is how it's going to happen. And one question before we get into all the minutiae, do you anticipate that growth being linear or parabolic? I mean, is it going to be steady, 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 steady? Or do you think that there's going to be an inflection point somewhere along the way where you expect the growth rate to ramp? Yes, I, I think um, I think that's exactly how it's going to happen. So, so we're slowly building here in the out of the corporate office, and also we're experimenting in in our um, in our other offices. But essentially, we're building team leaders. So this is this is probably the biggest strategy that we have is to build leaders, young entrepreneurs who want to own their own business one day. Um, we're going to give them the opportunity to do it on our dime, uh, and we're going to send them out into these markets. And so really, you know, the two things that are going to hold us back is really the people to do it and the capital. And so um, we, we feel like probably over the next, 
we'll be continuing to build maybe over the next two years, and then um, we'll we'll be able to to grow at scale. All right, I like it. So what I'm hearing here is that you're you're building a partner model. These people that are hungry hustlers, they're motivated, have an entrepreneurial bent. You're wanting to do intrapreneurship, find an opportunity for them to grow and expand inside the organization, uh, and and presumably take that pretty far, and maybe someday use that as kind of the 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 staging ground for them for going off and and establishing their own ventures is that kind of the angle I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we want we want people who want to who who are most definitely entrepreneurs um, and see this as an incredible learning opportunity. So, um, and we we're very very open. So we're a very transparent company. We talk to all of our candidates about this. So when they're interviewed here in Birmingham, let's just say we have uh, several candidates here in Birmingham. We put them through uh, something we call the grinder, which is our interview process uh, that we got out of the book Who, uh, which is a great book, by the way. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Written by the son of the guy that wrote Top Grading. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of Top Grading. Um, so, and, and that's one of the things we're very upfront. Like, you will not stay here in Birmingham. Our goal is to mobilize you into a different market. So if that's not something you see yourself doing in about 24 uh, months, then then this is probably not the place for you. Uh, so to date, we've deployed two team leaders from here in Birmingham, one to Nashville and one to Chattanooga. And, and we're learning. So this is a, a, this is a, a learning process as we go, but, but it's worked well so far. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Clone clone leaders and spread the, send them abroad. So let's get into the nuts and bolts. Um, I have followed GK for some time, not out of a personal relationship with either you or Matthew, but purely on the basis of the fact that the company has been a bit of a novelty in the sense that the brand identity has clearly been intentional for, intentional for some time. And I've probably followed the brand for, let's say, two, three years. You've been around for at least that long, so maybe that is some of, of your influence. But for me, even just starting with visual identity, I collect sales collateral as a hobby. You guys have invested in the visual identity of the company. Let's lead off with brand. Describe for me on a consumer-facing level in language that the consumer would understand, what is the brand identity? What's the story? What's the messaging behind GK? Yeah. Um, you know, when I came on board, I don't know if there there really was an outward facing identity all that much, and I'm not saying it's all me because it's, it's definitely a team effort. Um, but uh, the, one of the first things that we did was we wanted to identify who that customer was, and so we went through a process of um, of building out our avatar for our perfect customer. And so we, we came up with Mike, the investor, and Susie, homeowner. Um, they're two totally different people. We have a lot of investors here in Birmingham. And then for Susie, homeowner, they're t- typically the accidental landlord. Um, uh, or, or maybe they want to do it as a, a little bit of a hobby. So um, so we, we really wanted to build our messaging uh, to speak to those two people. And the website, I think, and I think this is kind of kind of what you're you're getting at. But we wanted our website to be very simple, um, and and I'm of course I'm speaking a lot of owners because I do so much marketing to owners, but um, but tenants as well. But simple, um, very um, elegant, uh, easy to navigate, and and we really wanted to give them as much information as as they felt uh, necessary to, to help make them a decision. I will say it's not necessarily a conversion-based website. Um, our websites aren't necessarily conversion-based, but we, we do a lot of, um, we have a lot of landing pages for, for that. Uh, so we, we kind of address some of those things. Um, well, the fact that we're even having the conversation about differentiating between the two, a conversion focus versus a design or UX or brand focus means that there's a level of intentionality that many companies do not apply. Let's start off with the sales collateral. So I've collected sales collateral from property management companies for many years now. GK is probably in the top three in terms of the robustness of the offerings. And what's interesting is that not not all of these are even available on the website currently, as I can tell. But 
I'm referring to things like ebooks, five keys to mastering rental property in, in Birmingham, Alabama. Looks like this is a 17 page ebook, well produced, slick, content rich. It's an ebook, it's a lead magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, five turnkey manipulations that could cost you thousands. 10 curb appeal tips to help rent your house fast. All of these are lead magnets. They can be gated or they can be not gated. You can give them away just to educate people or, or you can gate it. Uh, I know this is getting into the minutia, but walk me through the production of those content assets. Did you do it yourself? Did you use it? Did you go with a third party? Did you kind of, how did the process go of producing the asset? And then how did you feel like the ROI was on the investment in those content asset pieces? Yeah, great questions. Um, So we did those pretty much in house. And so having been in real estate for so long, uh, buying and selling houses. So we're really tapped into our, our, you know, customer from an investor profile. And so we, you know, the ebook about um, the ebook about the manipulations, the turnkey manipulations just came out of frustration of seeing people, you know, buy houses here in Birmingham and, and struggle. Um, and then a, a lot of times they blame a property manager when it was really a, a bad buy on their part. And um, so, so we, you know, it's really Matthew and I would sit down. We'd uh, I might write out a general outline. We both sit down and put you know put this thing together. Um, and then I would send just for the you know the technical stuff. I would get it all in a document, a Google Doc, and I would you know send it off to somebody, um, a designer, and have them make it look uh, as pretty as possible, and uh, design a cover, and then then bring it back. and And at that point, probably when you downloaded those, I was using a landing page called um, uh, ClickFunnels. And it's it's really a lead. It's kind of a lead magnet, and so we we capture people's information and uh, drip them to them to them uh, from that point. Uh, so that's that's kind of the way we did it. What I like here is is there's really a couple of things. The first is it, this demo, it's a demonstration of empathy. You're putting yourself in the consumer situation. What do they want to know? What issues are resonant to them? That primary orientation. Secondly, your care about packaging, and I cannot overemphasize the importance of this. You take the same content from the same mind, the same expertise, the same ideas and thoughts. You package them differently, exponential difference in return. You took the time to invest in design. But what's interesting to me is that not all of these are available via the website anymore. What's what's the story there? Did, did, did this work for you? Was it a success? And if so, why is this content no longer actively being le- le- leveraged at the moment? Yeah, let me, let me, I'll be real transparent about that. Um, we, we were using that. It was on our website. Um, and we were, you know, we had, uh, I think some good success with it. Uh, definitely when people would call us and talk to us about our, our management, um, we got time and time again. Yeah. You know, I saw your eBooks or I watched your videos. We, we probably produced, you know, 30 or 40 other videos for people talking about similar type subjects. Um, but then we, we switched our website. So we created a whole new website with a, a different, uh, interface and, um, and at the same time we were doing this, we were also long to Nashville. Um, so we were buying a company in Nashville. And really, you know, I started working on a lot of Google AdWords, um, marketing, advertising, and, it, and we really kind of got away from our content-rich focus. But it's something like Matthew and I sat down literally um, Friday and had a very long discussion about all of our content and the need, like we desperately need to keep producing it and make these types of things available uh, to more and more people. So, um, so our landing page uh, for you know these these lead magnets that would capture information that we were using at one point we're now you know kind of switch gears and we've been using we've been using Google AdWords to 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 get out in front of people. But um, but yeah, so to your point, we are. <laughs> We're, we're retooling all of our content and bringing it back out over the next several months. Make it work for you, man. You got, you got some gems here, bro. These are, these are really 
underrated. Get them out, make them work for you. Now, the interesting question is, do you gate? Do you not? Meaning, do you put it behind a lead capture form? The general rule of thumb we tend to follow is that if the, if the content is talking about the service offering in any way, do not gate, meaning if it's lower funnel, if it's higher funnel, there's an opportunity to gate. But all right, I appreciate the, the answer there. That makes sense. I understand things are in flux, things are in change, but you guys deserve some props for that. I want to see that content work for you. The next thing, because we're still talking about sales collateral, guys, massive opportunity here. This company has done it. Still talking about it because now we're going to talk about the 2016 owner happiness survey. What's interesting about this one to me, Spencer, is that you could look at this and you could say this is a bunch of boring, banal, numbers that are going to bore somebody to tears. And yet with the graphics, with the vision, with the investment, the presentation, you've made a lot of oper operational numbers and KPIs that in some ways presumably have nothing to do with the customer, interesting, accessible, um, and rich. Tell me about the thought process, but where did that idea come from? Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, you know, when I started at GK Houses, I was, you know, as the market the director of marketing, you know, I needed to know who our customer was, like who already does business with us. And so I asked Matthew, I was like, have you ever done a survey of the owners? And, you know, and he'd been building this thing literally by a long time and he just never had done it. And I think the tendency in our business also, we hear from owners when they're mad, right? So, um, so that doesn't, you know, you don't necessarily want to put out a survey to just get more bad feedback. And, um, but, I, <laughs> but I can, sure. I was like, you know, I think it's for us to do this and then let's package it up in a graphic. And, you know, regardless of what the information reveals, we need to share it because we're all big believers here of just being very transparent. And if we can help an owner make a decision, if they don't like something and they don't want to do business with us, we'd rather know up front than invest a lot of money to onboard them only to find it later. So I, I this was all information. There was a bunch of numbers. We got it back. We, all we did was put together a Google, um, you know, Google questionnaire. I think they have a Google quiz or something like that. Google forms. That's what it was. It populates to a Google spreadsheet I took all that information and I decided exactly, you know, how I wanted to present it or whatever. I sent it off to somebody, either on Fiverr or Upwork. I can't really remember, but uh, probably Upwork. But I was just looking for somebody who could build an infographic. And it, it's a painful process. It can be a painful process, especially if you want to get it looking the way you want to get it looked. But it's, I think it's been very useful. We do use it. You know, we link to it and show people, hey, this is... This is what we do, and now it's become a thing at GK Houses. Every February, we send out a survey because we want to know. You know, we we want to see you know what people would like to change. What what are we doing well? What do we need to improve? And we've we've received some extremely valuable feedback. Spencer, I got to tell you, this is a pretty shocking piece of content for me on two levels. The first is on the level of a property management company. Most people don't want to have transparency. They don't want to be exposed, and I'm using air quotes here, to have their numbers put out there. And what's really interesting to me is that the average owner happiness that came back from the survey, which which this is effectively an NPS, a net promoter score. If you don't guys aren't familiar with that, go Google NPS. But what's interesting is that the rating was 7.7. .7, and that puts your average rating within the brackets mm -hmm. of what are called passives, meaning that number could be better. Ideally you'd like it to be an eight or a nine. It's still it's still strong, but it could be better. So my the point being here there is even a little, a little bit of vulnerability here. The number wasn't, it wasn't a 10, right? This wasn't some obvious in your face. We killed it. So that's on the consumer side. What's shocking to me is that you're sharing and even exposing yourself to criticism. What I think from a consumer perspective is shocking is anytime that a company is an order of magnitude more transparent than another company, They've already won my trust regardless of the results simply because of their willingness to be open and transparent because that crosses all areas of the business, all customer, all customer interactions. Transparency enables consumers to make their own decision if the company that's providing the service is willing to be vulnerable. Transparency, 
Last thing with um, sales collateral, you also bring it into the process with the GK House's process of what it looks like to become a customer, to work with you guys. That's also been turned into an infographic, uh, both in long form and in summary. Fascinating stuff. Guys, go check it out on their website. We'll, we'll set up a link to where they show that in the show notes to this episode. But I had to start there because sales collateral is just something that I find fascinating. And you guys have really set yourselves apart in investing there. But let's transition to talk about other things that you guys have done and kind of the, uh, I don't want to say superficial, but the less, the harder to quantify level. For example, PR. Matthew's around. He's doing interviews. You guys pursued the Fortune 5000 designation. How do you guys think about the the less um, the less metric driven pieces of marketing that PR and interviews relate to? How do you think about the value add? Why is that worth Matthew's time to invest in those sorts of activities? You know, it's it's not something that we spend a ton of time on the the PR side of it. We just look for certain opportunities um, where it may be a fit. Uh, you know, I came away from NARPM uh, in Vegas this past year in April, and I was, you know, this is my first time uh, going there, and I listened to all the speakers. I went to several different breakouts, and, and so we, we had a big recap meeting in our hotel room um, before we left, and that was, one of the, that was one of my big takeaways. I was like, you know, Matthew, I think, you know, you could – speak at some of these events and you know we're trying to grow to 25,000 houses part of our strategy for doing this is acquisition so why not you know let people see what we're doing and um you know we could you know we we could see that as an opportunity to to allow Matthew to go and speak different places we can help other property managers um you know in different markets so you know, PR is, you're right, is a lot less uh, quantifiable, but, uh, you know, we think it's important. We just, we don't though, spend a lot of time on it. Awesome. Makes sense. So exploiting the low-hanging low opportunities as they come, building some uh, personal branding for Matthew, which makes sense because it's not forced, right? You guys are actually doing legitimately interesting, innovative things, and therefore it's a little bit more downhill skiing than if you're pushing PR hard and it's lipstick on a pig. That makes right. sense to me. Before we go on, I want to mention our show sponsor, the PM Grow Summit, which is happening at the end of January in 2018. If you consider yourself a growth-minded property management entrepreneur, if you're interested in leveling up your sales marketing game, if you want to go pro and network with other best-in-class entrepreneurs and stay on the cutting edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM Grow Summit. We truly bring the best of the best, and you can get your ticket now by going to pmgrowsummit.com, and you can use the coupon code JORDAN, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, my name, to get $100 off your ticket. Let's transition to the sales side of things. We're going to go back up funnel and talk about marketing, but I want to go lower in the funnel with the sales process. So your title is director of marketing. To what degree do you interact with sales? Do you have oversight over sales? Is that a different department head? How does that work? Yeah, I have oversight over sales. So. All right, so the, two, so the two are integrated, which totally makes sense to me. Talk to me about the sales funnel process. What do you expect to see happen in an ideal world? And when I, when I say an ideal world, what you're actually enforcing through management and oversight, what do you expect to happen to a lead that fills out a contact form on your website from form submission to close? Just kind of walk me through that process and who's involved. Yeah, so we, you know, we have uh, a sales person here in Birmingham that handles uh, Birmingham, Nashville, uh, and Chattanooga, and so um, their responsibility. The first thing, um, and, and we use Lead Simple to to as our CRM to run everything through. But I'm just a huge believer in um, first contact. Uh, all the way to we we feel like somebody needs probably ten touches before we would say they're inactive or they're you know either they're going to tell us they went with someone else or um, we're going to touch them ten times and then we're even then we're going to put them on a passive uh, nurture so 
Alex Fortenberry right now is in that position. Now, Alex is just like uh, anybody else that went through what we call the grinder. Uh, he's he's training to be a team leader. He just happens to be starting in sales. Um, but it is a very, very important role for us because uh, because of our growth, you know, our, our plan. We want to grow through, we're, we're going to grow through acquisition, but um, growing uh, organically is very important to us as well. So first thing is for us is when that lead comes in, his responsibility is to get back with them as soon as possible. Um, I think lead put a, put a number on it for me, man. Oh man. You know, I would say, I would say immediately is what I want to say. Unfortunately, we have, uh, we're involved in different meetings throughout the day, or he could be on the phone with somebody. If he's on the phone with somebody and a lead comes in, I need to take it. I'll do that. Like that's not my normal role, but I'm more than happy to pick up the phone, um, and talk to somebody. But literally, I, I really want to see his, um, callback time be less than an hour. Ideally within three to five minutes. Is, is what I want to see. Um, but I know that's not always going to be possible. Got it. So if he's not responded within the first few, well, how long does it, does a lead need to sit before you're going to get involved? Well, I, I just want to, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I trust Alex. So I'm not like looking over his shoulder all the time. But uh, for example, we came in this morning and, and one of the things I asked him was, because uh, I saw we got several leads last night. We got like three or four leads last night. And I was like, hey, what's your plan for getting back with these people? Because I know, you know, we're, he has a busy day. I've got a busy day. And he was like, I'm just going to I'm going to knock it out. I'm going to do it first thing this morning. I said, OK. So, um, you know, if he asked me to to get a call and he's very proactive. So that's the good thing. If you have anybody in the sales role, they need to be. I think somewhat of a bulldog. And I've told Alex this. I'm like, I need to see you like be a... Before we go on, I want to mention our show sponsor, the PM Growth Summit, which is happening at the end of January in 2018. If you consider yourself a growth-minded property management entrepreneur, if you're interested in leveling up your sales and marketing game, and if you want to go pro and network with other best-in-class entrepreneurs and stay on the bleeding edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM Grow Summit. We truly bring in the best of the best, and you can get your ticket now by going to www.pmgrowsummit.com and using the coupon code JORDAN, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, to get $100 off your ticket. See you there. Let's transition to the sales side of things. We're going to go back up funnel and talk about marketing, but I want to go lower in the funnel with the sales process. So your title is director of marketing. To what degree do you interact with sales? Do you have oversight over sales? Is that a different department head? How does that work? Yeah, I have oversight over sales. So. All right, so the, two, so the two are integrated, which totally makes sense to me. Talk to me about the sales funnel process. What do you expect to see happen in an ideal world? And when I, when I say an ideal world, what you're actually enforcing through management and oversight, what do you expect to happen to a lead that fills out a contact form on your website from form submission to close? Just kind of walk me through that process and who's involved. Yeah, so we, you know, we have uh, a sales person here in Birmingham that handles uh, Birmingham, Nashville, uh, and Chattanooga, and so um, their responsibility. The first thing, um, and, and we use Lead Simple to to as our CRM to run everything through. But I'm just a huge believer in um, first contact. Uh, all the way to we we feel like somebody needs probably ten touches before we would say they're inactive or they're you know either they're going to tell us they went with someone else or um, we're going to touch them ten times and then we're even then we're going to put them on a passive uh, nurture. So Alex Fortenberry right now is in that position. Now Alex is just like uh, anybody else that went through what we call the grinder. Uh, he's He's training to be a team leader. He just happens to be starting in sales. Um, but it is a very, very important role for us because uh, because of our growth, you know, our, our plan. We want to grow through, we're, we're going to grow through acquisition, but um, growing uh, organically is very important to us as 
well. So first thing is for us is when that lead comes in, his responsibility is to get back with them as soon as possible. Um, I think lead put a, put a number on it for me, man. Oh man, you know I would say I would say immediately is what I want to say. Unfortunately, we have uh, we're involved in different meetings throughout the day, or he could be on the phone with somebody. If he's on the phone with somebody and a lead comes in, I need to take it. I'll do that. Like that's not my normal role, but I'm more than happy to pick up the phone um, and talk to somebody. But literally, I, I really want to see his. Um, callback time be less than an hour. Ideally, within three to five minutes is is what I want to see. Um, but I know that's not always going to be possible. Got it. So if he's not responded within the first few, well, how long does it does a lead need to sit before you're going to get involved? Well, I, I just want to. You know, I'm not. I'm, I trust Alex, so I'm not like looking over his shoulder all the time. But uh, for example, we came in this morning, and and one of the things I asked him was because uh, I saw we got several leads last night. We got like three or four leads last night, and I was like, "Hey, what's your plan for getting back with these people?" Because I know you know we're he has a busy day, I've got a busy day, and he was like, "I'm just gonna I'm gonna knock it out. I'm gonna do it first thing this morning." I said, "Okay, so." Um, you know, if he asked me to to get a call, and he's very proactive, so that's the good thing. If you have anybody in the sales role, they need to be, I think, somewhat of a bulldog. And I've told Alex this. I'm like, I need to see you, like, be a bulldog on these leads. I mean, this is – they're expensive, right? They're not free, especially if they come through uh, AdWords or Facebook or some other paid uh, source. They're, they're very expensive, so – um, you know, I'll hop on it if he asks me to, but usually I'm not like looking over his shoulder, but we do discuss it. Got it. That makes sense. So next, so step one is speed to contact. Mm-hmm. Step two is multiple follow-up attempts. At what point, um, does it get kicked over to somebody else? How broad, how deep into the sales funnel is Alex's role? Does he take them all the way to go into the property, signing the contract or where does handoff happen? Yeah. Who else is involved? Yeah. So I, when I came on, I ran sales for a little bit and, um, and it was, a, it's very draining on me because I was involved in the whole onboarding process and so much stuff. So we shortened it up for Alex and for, for other people. So he is responsible literally when he gets that management agreement signed and turns it over to our um, operations coordinator who handles all the owner com. Um, he's done with it, you know. Now they do have his email, so you know people will email him and he'll respond. He'll he's he's very gracious, but uh, but we really want them to then contact operations and just be um, just let our operations department handle it from there. So I really want him focused on following up with leads and making sure they have a great experience as they first get on. Um, uh, then then after that, he's passing them off. He, he doesn't walk them through the entire onboarding uh, process. So, he's hand, so he is handling this process for all three markets, correct? That is correct. So that means that he is not doing on-site visits, is that correct? That is correct, yeah. So we have team leaders in each of those, so in Chattanooga and Nashville, which is really interesting, Jordan, I think, because I think every market is a little bit different. We found this. For Birmingham, we didn't need to go out to the property. Like, we could just, I could have a conversation with somebody and get them to sign on, you know, sign up just via email. A lot of times, and a lot of the people in Birmingham are out-of-state investors, so they weren't around. They didn't. They didn't have to meet me at the property. They didn't need to meet Alex. And so then, when we moved into Nashville, we realized it was a little bit of a different game. Much different market. People wanted to meet at the property. Probably more Susie homeowners than Mike, the investors in Nashville. Um, and then in Chattanooga, we realized that that people would rather. Uh, you know, I'd say fifty-fifty. They want to meet at the property. And so we have our team leaders who are who are prepared to go out and, and meet with uh, meet with folks. So is it fair to say that Alex's role is effectively an ISA and the differentiation being an ISA, inside sales agent, is really button chair doing uh, calls and emails, whereas the BDM function, a business development manager, tends to be doing a, a combination of in the office um, and outside of the office. Is Alex, uh, what is his functional title within the company? 
Um, he's owner sales is, is, well, that's his title, but you know, I think he's a little bit of both for these other markets. Absolutely. He is, he is hammering the phone inside sales for Birmingham. He does go out. I mean, I've seen him probably over the past week, week and a half, he's had six or seven appointments out of the, out of the, um, out of the office, which is great. Um, but for these markets, most definitely he's on the phone. Now, why do you have him carry that load of doing the on-site visits in Birmingham? Why not have the Birmingham te- team leader handle those? Uh, because Alex has probably started that conversation with him. It just kind of makes sense um, because he's on the phone with him. And instead of trying to coordinate schedules with our Birmingham team leader, it just makes it easy for him to do that. Uh, I think that... I mean, vast majority of the time, he doesn't do it. Vast majority of the time, he just says, hey, sign a management agreement. We'll send a PM out there. They'll walk through the property. What we're going to give back to you, Mr. or Mrs. Owner, is a, uh an inspection report. It's going to have everything you need to know on it. Um, and so he essentially sells them on the phone, gets them to sign a management agreement, and then the PM goes out there and, and uh, takes care of, of all that. So, um most of the time, that's what he's doing. So what does performance reviews look like um, in Alex's role? I'm sure generally, culturally, you have a, some process for performance reviews, but specifically in light of the fact that he is handling sales, what kind of benchmarks or standards do you set for, for that role in terms of your, your expectations for somebody in sales? Yeah, uh, we, we do. We have a monthly one-to-one, uh, Alex and I do, and we ask pretty much the same questions every month. Um, What did you accomplish this past month? What are you going to accomplish this next month? Um, What areas do you need to improve? And are you embracing our core values? Those are the four questions I ask every single time we sit down. Now, I'll bring to that meeting different things that I've noticed. So I spend a good amount of time in um, Lead Simple just looking at the things that I'm probably looking at most is closing um, ratio. Like what's his closing percentage in Birmingham? Historically, we've been around 30%. um, And that's just because people know who we are and we've got a lot of, um, we get a good, a good amount of referrals Um, in the other markets where we're fairly new. It's a little bit different. So we're constantly talking about that. Um, I'm also looking at, uh, like we, like we mentioned, just his touches. So I want to see number of touches before somebody moves to an inactive nurture, um, or pass, I'm sorry, a passive nurture. So we have a passive nurture, uh, email chain that goes out, uh, over the, over the course of 12 months. Um, it'll, it'll drip on them. Um, so I want to see how many touches. Uh, so those are the things that I'm, mostly concerned about with him. And then I share an office with Alex. So I know if he's making calls, I know if he's following up and, and, um, uh, so, you know, so the performance review, we talk about those things, but we have conversations throughout our week, uh, that are all regard, all regarding sales and, and those types of things. Awesome. So let's move one step up. What about for your, for yourself? What is success look like for look like for you in your role how do you quantify that in a way that is specific and concrete really from my role uh matthew and i talk a lot about just lead generation um you know uh, as ambitious as we as we are i need to be producing leads especially in these newer markets so we're we're constantly talking about you know what are our goals for the month what are our goals? So we look at it on a weekly basis. So we have a level 10 meeting every single week. And in that level 10 meeting, every single time in front of the entire team, we go through our company's um, scorecard. We call it a scorecard. Uh, we, we got most of our operational ideas out of a book called Traction, which has been great for us. Um, so we're looking at the scorecard and the scorecard that, that pops, what are the leads versus our goals? So if our goal is 40 leads a month per market, then, you know, we need to be averaging somewhere around 10 leads per market. So that's, that's what Matthew and I talk about all the time. Excellent. That's what I wanted to hear. A lead commit. 
That's what somebody in a director of marketing sales and a CMO function should be doing. A lead commit. Interviews, PR, good looking ebooks, all that stuff is awesome, but it boils down to a lead commit. So let's talk success, wins, failures with lead gen. What have you tried over the years? What's worked for you? What hasn't? How are you feeling about organic versus paid? Work me through your, your thoughts on lead gen. Yeah, lead gen. I love lead gen. Um, I study it all the time. Um, one of the biggest difficulties I think we have as property managers, just anybody out there, is when you're, especially when you're looking at any kind of SEM, search engine marketing, paid advertising, is you're dealing with, you've got two sets of customers and one uh, greatly outweighs the other. You've got 10 to 1 tenants versus owners looking for your services. Um, at least that's what I found. And so, um, you know, I'll talk about paid first and I'll talk about organic. Paid, We've both lost and won with paid, and um, we've learned a lot along the way. So, so you know, just getting into Google AdWords over a year ago, um, found out real fast that tenants don't really care as long as they find your you know contact information. They'll fill out a form, they'll call, yeah. they'll do they'll yeah. do whatever, they'll waste your money um, because we don't. And not saying that tenants aren't important, but we don't have a problem finding tenants. Uh, you know, we we get a lot of traffic from people who are looking for houses. What we what my whole goal is is to focus on owner uh, leads, and so we spent a lot of money. I mean, we we committed a lot of money and spent a lot of money figuring out how do we how do we you know really just focus these keywords and Google AdWords is what I'm specifically talking about. Um, how do we how do we structure our campaigns, our ad sets, and our ads, and then our landing pages such that it's extremely obvious? First of all, on the front end, how do we exclude certain keywords that we know tenants are searching for? So how can we hide our ads from tenants, and how can we show it to owners? Uh, inevitably, you can't you can't do that. I mean, you can't a hundred percent. There's no way, but. Uh, over the course of 12 months, we've done a, a pretty good job of, of figuring that out. Um, uh, so um, we love paid ads. We really love our paid ads uh, as opposed to like um, all property management where there's, you know. Leads being resold. Yeah, you, you'd rather you'd rather control <laughs> it. I, I totally get yeah. that. With pay-per-click though, are you managing that in-house or have you worked with any agencies to help you with it? I have I have done this in house um, for over a year, uh, and I managed it myself. Uh, love it. Um, recently, though, having said that, recently I talked to a group and I have outsourced um, our AdWords to them. Probably, actually, less than a month ago, we started this. So um, we're in a we're we're, we're we're seeing how it how it goes without me uh, controlling everything, and if I'm not doing that, then I can kind of be freed up to to explore different avenues of paid search. Interesting, I like it. So this is a higher angle of attack approach here. The approach is first understand the nature of of the service or the function. Get your hands dirty with it. Come come away with a baseline understanding and then outsource it. I did the same thing myself. I was steeped in Google AdWords deep, deep for a while. What I found was it changes. I would say it changes maybe as much as SEO in the sense that the nature of how the campaigns are run, the new features Google's running out, rolling out, all change very rapidly. If you understand what are reasonable performance benchmarks, because you've done it yourself, if you understand what this person is doing, so they can't BS you, right? You don't want to be the guy that's going to the mechanic um, and getting told that you need, um, you know, you need taillight fluid or or headlight fluid, right? You you, you need <laughs> to be right. able to differentiate between BS 
and real value added services. That's the way I've always looked at working with paid professionals. I want to grasp the, the service, the, the outcome, the result. And then on a more narrow basis, say, I want you to help me with this specific thing and be able to define their performance you expect. So I hope that works out well for you, but you did transition and segue. You mentioned APM, all property management. A lot of people have used this service. At the end of the day, what I find is, a lot of people have a negative emotion towards it. A, because the leads are harder to close, because the leads are being resold. They're upfront about that, right? They don't make any bones about that fact. But at the end of the day, it either works or it doesn't. So for you guys, is it something that you found was viable? Well, we're still using them. So, you know, I bring it up. We we, we have a leadership meeting. Uh, we have an offsite every two months. And so the, those of us, there's four of us on the leadership team. We go off, um, you know, every two months to uh, have uh, these meetings. And these, this is something I bring up a lot. Matthew has a hard time letting leads, any leads, go. <laughs> so he's always going to fight for, no, I, I want to keep APM, which is great. I understand that. But the, the data has proven that it's, they are more expensive. Um, I mean, I think coming into June, we hadn't closed one, and we had spent $2,000. And so, you know, we want our, you know, our cost per acquisition, customer acquisition cost, we want it to be around $500 if we can get it there. Um, and so I was kind of ready to let it go, but I think we've closed three over the past month and a half. So we'll, we'll reassess that. But, you know, for, I, I think if it, you know, if anybody's listening out there who has APM leads to me, it all boils around how fast you can get back with those people. Because most of the time, I don't think they're really looking to get a ton of quotes. They really want to just find somebody they trust. And so that's why I'm telling Alex, you've got to be a bulldog. you got to in Birmingham, in Birmingham, it's interesting. We can call back. The call can go out 10 minutes. The lead can come in. We can call them 10 minutes later, 15, 20 minutes later. We're still the very first one to reach out to them. In Nashville, you better call within 10 seconds because there's going to be three other uh, managers who are calling. It's extremely competitive. So might depend on your market, how successful you are with, with APM. I'm sure that's absolutely the case. But I enjoy hearing you talk about that because this is in the context of a company that can close. Most of the time when I hear people complain about all, pro all property management, my sympathy level is low because I don't know and I have to assume that they have a fairly dysfunctional sales process. You guys have somebody in that designated role full-time. This isn't somebody that's juggling a full property management portfolio, uh, acting as the broker, and then, oh yeah, part-time doing sales. And if you guys are, 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 you're right on the fence, right? Like if you found a more profitable option, maybe you'd switch, but you mentioned a $500 customer acquisition cost. That's marketing only, right? That's not loaded with your sales labor cost as well, correct? That's Yeah, that's correct. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. So the thing that I like to point out is that if you're focused on high growth, you have to cobble together multiple channels. There's not going to be any silver bullet. If your goal is to grow by net, you know, 50 doors a year, then maybe you can have the luxury of just focusing on one channel, like AdWords, for example. But if you have really ambitious growth goals, you have to cobble the things that are working together very, very well with the things that are working just kind of so-so in order to hit your growth targets. When we talk about the ambitious growth goals that you guys have, tell me how you think about the infrastructure that you view as being necessary to get there. What core, comp what organizational core competencies, what pieces of infrastructure are you going to need to build out that you have right now in order to maintain and sustain high growth goals over time? And maybe you're still figuring it out, you know? Yeah, well, there's no doubt we are. I mean, you know, we two year and a half ago, we jumped into Nashville and um, got beat up pretty bad trying to figure it out. We're getting, we've gotten a lot better this year. Um, and then Chattanooga, we jumped in with a totally different perspective, but we've learned a lot in Chattanooga. And so I think we're still putting those pieces together. I think there are certain probably foundations that we want to, um, that we want to develop in every market and something that I'm kind of excited about. And I don't know if this is what you, you wanted to hear, but, 
I think I think there's a great opportunity for growth within the investor uh, community in all these markets, and I believe that it can be achieved through Facebook um, advertising. And so, this is that's a component that we're trying to build out. Cutting edge. Um, cu- yeah, absolutely cutting edge. Like extremely cutting edge. Um, I think that content creation to kind of go back to the eBooks and the, the, the good information that is extremely helpful to people. I think building out a robust content uh, platform is going to be extremely important. So that's something we're working on in the background, um, not only with the eBooks and videos, but um, just blogs, um, you know, anything that can help people make decisions, give them uh, opportunities to be successful in their rental endeavors, I think will benefit us uh, going into these markets. This relates to some of the experimentation that you'll do with lead generation. So you want to find new channels and channels that are scalable. What's interesting about the investor play is that it's less focused on arbitrage and it's inserting that brand presence because at the end of the day you can make arbitrage scale but it is not what i would consider a true competitive or strategic advantage having a brand relationship with a core constituency like investors we've seen people do this i'm thinking guys like chris clothier memphis invest guys like douglas skipworth over at Crest Core, I believe Douglas Skipworth's average properties per owner is 6.2, which is a good four times higher than your average um, property management company. That right there is, that's leverage. That's competitive advantage as you're trying to scale. I want to transition now to some rapid fire questions, Spencer. We go over these at the end of each show. Um, we're just going to work through these quickly, and I just want some guttural answers. First one is, what is the number one challenge for you to succeed and crush it in your role, Spencer? Being able to enter a market without an acquisition and grow to a sustainable point. I think that's the biggest challenge. Got it. So, So the cold start. Cold start. Hey, we're guess what? We're moving to Indianapolis and we're starting from scratch. We're going to put a team leader there that obviously has overhead, um, and we're going to make this thing work. In a year, we're going to have X number of houses. That's a, that's a challenge. Where are you at in terms of being able to give that person leash? As you go into a new market and you're still struggling, you and Matt, you're still trying to figure it out. You're going to have a little bit more uh, patience and grace, at some point, you're going to know very clearly what the standards are to expect. And that is directly what you're going to hold this person to. Do you guys feel like you're still in the process of figuring that out? Or do you have benchmarks that you feel like that you can really um, dogmatically hold a new team leader account, a new team leader to when they break into a new market? For lead for team leaders that go in via an acquisition, so like we did in Nashville and like we did in Chattanooga, it, it's um, it's extremely easy. Um, you know, they have a scorecard just like everybody else, and they're expected um, to have a certain uh, performance. And I mean, you know, they either they and they do really really well. So there's and there's a lot of trust because we. Kind of, we've groomed these people from within GK Houses. They absolutely, they have, they have been in all these different roles within our company. So we move them through these different stages before we send them out to be team leaders. So I think when we move in acquisition, it's uh, fairly clean cut. Um, moving into a moving into a market where there's you know kind of cold start as a as a fresh start they're going to have to be a part of the marketing program. And so, um, so we just put together, like I, this is one of the things I've been working on. I worked on it uh, this month actually was just putting together a, uh, a, a marketing plan for team leaders because it, although it, a lot of it comes out of the corporate office, there's going to have to be boots on the ground. And so I think we're still figuring out what that looks like. So um 
you know, how many uh, meetings have they had? How many um, investor uh, meetups have they have they attended? Things like that. So we're 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 putting those pieces together. So you're still cracking that nut. I'm confident you yeah. guys will figure it out. You told me a second ago, CAC customer acquisition cost marketing only. That's not packing in sales labor. Five hundred bucks. That's the target. But my question for you is. How much is too much? What is the breaking point? You uncover a new source, the new all property management, and you figure out that you can sustain a $750 customer acquisition cost. Do you keep it on? Do you throttle it? Is it too high? What's the breaking point for you guys? Yeah, we, we keep it going at that rate. I mean, um, you know, we, we get, we get kind of nervous at a thousand dollars, I think, or not nervous, but we, we really start to evaluate. Is it, is it really worth it? Um, around a thousand dollars is, is, is that number thousand bucks. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. And I, and I, and I think AdWords at, at the very beginning, if we were very patient and so, um, it was probably over that, but we dialed it back. We were able to, to fine tune it. Awesome. Next question. What advice do you wish somebody had given you on your very first day in your current role? Uh, I think, you know, in my role, I think I would have um, really probably jumped on um, Google AdWords sooner than I did. We, uh, we probably waited a year, year and a half to before we really dove in and, and gave it a shot. So I think looking back now, day one, I would have started. I, I would have figured it all out, you know, a year sooner and and been able to to scale a lot faster. Pushing harder on paid. All right. So yeah. final question for you, Spencer, what's the number one thing you see property management companies doing wrong when it comes to marketing? Mm. I'll start with just the most basic thing. When I look at the landscape of property management companies out there, I pull up their websites and I think, um, man alive, um, most of them are just brochure websites, and I think there's so much, you know, for that for your brand for for something you've put so much, um, you know, sweat and blood and tears into. I think you you people can do a lot better with their websites. And what I mean by that is, when people come to your website, they don't necessarily want to hear all about you. They don't care about you. What they want to know is what you're going to do for them. What benefit would they get from doing business with you? So I, I would say one of the biggest mistakes is just having a brochure website. It's a basic mistake um, that I think people make. Awesome. So really, that's a that's a, a proxy for empathy, right? Putting yourself in the consumer's shoes and actually caring. Well said. And this is coming out of out of the mouth of a guy that actually practices what he preaches. Guys, if you want to learn more, go to the website GK Houses, but then go click in uh, GKHouses.com is basically a landing page. Go check out some of their l local market specific websites. Go to the owner's page, download some of the resources. They're doing really interesting, innovative stuff. And we're going to keep an eye on these guys, track you as you are on your way to 25,000 doors. Spencer, thanks for coming on the show today. Jordan, thanks so much. I, I really had a good time. Appreciate it.